0: We pray, Lord, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Bless us as we receive your word this morning. Send your Holy Spirit to build faith in our hearts and prepare a path in our hearts to to celebrate the coming of our Savior at Christmas. Bless our our Advent meditation on your word today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Are you a handyman? Or a handywoman? Yeah? Do you like to fix things around the house? Do you like to renovate rooms of your house and make them look better? And do you like to do it yourself so it can be cheaper and you can save money? If you answered yes to maybe any of those questions, then perhaps uh, you can relate to the situation that I'm about to describe to you. The situation is this you have gotten yourself in over your head. So, you started a project, you thought it was gonna be fine, you thought it was gonna be good, but then you didn't have the tool you needed, you went to the store, they didn't have the tool you needed either, and you came back, and then the piece broke, and you had to get a different piece, and then you did one too many cranks on the wrench, and you cracked the porcelain toilet tank, and then water started pouring everywhere, And finally it spirals and it reaches a point where you're sitting in the corner of your bathroom on the ground alone with your head in your hands surrounded by nuts and bolts and wet towels and failure. Um, You're in over your head. It is is too much. You've watched every YouTube video. You've used every tool you have. There is no hope left that you're going to figure this project out on your own. And so you're thinking, I need to call a plumber. I should have called a plumber a while ago. And maybe I've messed it up so badly, even a plumber is not going to be able to fix it now. If you can imagine, hypothetically, that type of a headspace that a handy person could find themselves in, if you can imagine that feeling of being in over your head, then you can imagine how the Israelites would have been feeling uh, during the time that they had been exiled to Babylon. They were in this big mess this big problem, their nation had been exiled, and they had created the problem themselves. For generation after generation, they had been messing around with idol worship, and God kept telling them not to do it, and God kept sending them prophets to warn them. They were the nation of the world that was holding on to God's promises. They had to hold on to God himself, but they didn't listen to God's prophets, and so he explicitly told them, If you don't stop with the idol worship, I'm going to allow an enemy nation to conquer you. And they didn't stop with the idol worship. So he allowed an enemy nation to conquer them. The Babylonians came in, they crushed Israel's army, they tore down the city's walls, they sacked the temple, and they carried the people off to Babylon. And now they sat in a foreign country with no walls to protect them, with no army to fight for them, with not even a temple where they could go worship their God. And now they realized they were in way over their heads. And there was no way they could fix this on their own. They needed to call on the Lord. They should have called on the Lord a long time ago. In fact, maybe they had messed things up so badly that not even the Lord was going to be able to fix them now. So that's where we're at in Isaiah 64. As we turn to our sermon text and we hear God's prophet Isaiah, what he's really doing is he's speaking on behalf of the whole nation. And here's what he says. It's the voice from exile. He says, God, oh that you would rend the heavens and just come down so that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. So, yes, the Israelites had completely blown it. Um, Physically speaking, they were completely out of options. But imagine how great it would be if God could just physically come in and take over. Like, you know, God is, of course, watching over them from heaven. He's in the spiritual realms, controlling things. But what if God could just, like, rip right into this physical world and actually do something? Like, call a cosmic timeout. Just everybody freeze. And take his people from Babylon and carry them back to their promised land and set them back where they're supposed to be, on the track to produce the Savior like that nation was supposed to produce. Could God do something like that? Well, the unique thing, you know, of all the nations in the world, the unique thing about Israel's history is that God had done things like that for them in the past. Remember the, the ten miraculous plagues that God did when they were trapped in Egypt and God came into the physical world and did all these miracles so that they could be free? Remember how the Egyptians had them trapped against the Red Sea and God divided the waters so his people could walk through on dry ground? Um, remember all the battles they won just by God's divine intervention? Some of the battles they didn't even lose a single soldier There was one day in Israel's history where they were winning and night was falling and then God stopped the sun right where it was and allowed like a double day where the Israelites could just totally mop up on their enemies. And uh, there had never been a God like this in history who over and over had physically intervened into the physical world for the good of his people. Even the enemy nations knew this. Um, That there was this God of Israel who again and again found ways to help them. And so Isaiah goes on, praying to God. He says, when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down in the past, and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. So the Israelites were in a mess. It was clearly time to call upon the Lord, the Lord who had a history of stepping in and acting on behalf of his people. But there was one problem. The only one who could help them was the Lord, but the reason they got exiled was specifically for sinning against the Lord. Like The exile to Babylon was not just this random tragedy that happened to occur to their nation. It was a specific penalty from God based on generations of idol worship and ignoring his prophets. With that history that they have with God, why should God help them now? They're getting what he said they would get. They're getting what they deserve. So it's like Isaiah wants to cry out to God, but he also doesn't. He says, God, you come to the help of those who gladly do right. You come to the help of people who remember your ways, but when we continued to sin against your ways, you were angry. How then can we be saved? And even if the Israelites, now that they're in exile, even if they suddenly turned over a new leaf, reformed their behavior, started doing a bunch of good things, it would be too late. They had already displayed their character. They had already shown the sinful nature deep inside of them that caused them even now in exile to sin against God every day and that caused even the good things that they did to be stained and corrupted by selfish motives. So Isaiah goes on, All of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and given us over to our sins. So, Isaiah 64 is this very unique chapter of the Bible because you have the prophet Isaiah is talking on behalf of the people, and he wants to cry out to God for help, but he's almost afraid to do it. Because if God is going to come in and clean up the mess, I'm part of the mess. If God is going to come in and and take out the trash, God should take out me. Isaiah, the Israelites are feeling, you know, we've created the problem. We are the problem. So is it worth calling out to God at all? It's a unique chapter of the Bible here, and I wonder if you have ever felt like this, if you've ever felt like the Israelites in exile, where your life is a mess and where you are a mess, and so you want to call out to God for help, but you almost don't want to call out to God for help because you're not sure what He's going to do. Maybe you felt that way before. Maybe as you're hearing these verses, like the thing that is coming to your mind is, is a, a repeated sin or, or a pet sin. I don't know if people are familiar with that idea, the idea of a pet sin. It's like uh, you're trying to follow God, you're trying to do what you're supposed to do, but there, there's this one thing that you are just constantly drawn to. It's something you say, it's something you do. You just You have done this sin so many times. And you repent of the sin, and you turn to God, please forgive me, and then you find yourself doing the sin over and over and over again. Just this one sin is like your pet sin, your repeated sin. I wonder if you've ever had a sin where you get to the point, you know, how many times can you repent for one sin before you start to wonder, is God's forgiveness going to run out? Am I going to get to the limit of his grace for this particular thing? Is God going to get to the limit of his patience for me? So I want to pray to God and repent one more time, but I'm also afraid that this time he's going to be like, I'm done. Or, maybe as you're hearing these verses and, and you're hearing this situation, maybe what you're thinking of is a massive life challenge that you just cannot figure out. There's a, there's a mountain standing in front of you and you cannot see around it. You cannot understand how you'd get over it. And so you're feeling like, if only God would just step in, wouldn't that be great? If God would just come down, show up, rend the heavens, step into my life and like launch me over this mountain. But if God came down here then he would also have to deal with me and my inconsistencies and my failures and my lack of trust and the way I take my frustrations out on other people. So it's the the mixed feelings. Where on the one hand we want God to come in and rescue us and then on the other hand we're not sure that he should. So what's the outcome? Well, it's interesting to see how the voice of faith just kind of flings itself onto God's mercy saying no maybe this doesn't make sense that God should forgive me no maybe i can't understand how God is going to help me but the voice of faith just kind of flings myself onto God's mercy anyway and this is what we hear from Isaiah speaking again with like the voice of the whole people he says yeah we have these problems yeah we're broken and our righteous acts are broken too but you lord are our father we're we're just the clay you are the potter we're all the work of your hand and so do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. So Isaiah and the Israelites had a lot of issues, uh, but they had one big thing going for them, and it was this. They knew God's heart when it comes to dealing with sinful people. Because God had included them in his plan. Right? Ever since the fall into sin, God had been working and working and putting together this plan to bring a savior into the world. But specifically, he had revealed that plan to the Israelites. And he had, he had shown them that that was going to come through their nation, and it was going to be in their promised land. And his promises about it were all written down in their scriptures. So even though, humanly speaking, it looked like hope was gone, like they're exiled, the temple's destroyed, how are any of God's promises ever going to happen? the voice of faith still cries out, well, maybe somehow God is going to find a way to do something. If only God would rend the heavens and come down. If only God would just break into this physical world and rescue us. And you and I know, looking back, that this is exactly what God did. This is what we are about to celebrate in three weeks at Christmas. I mean, first, God totally dealt with the exiled Israelites. They thought all hope was lost. It was only one generation in exile before God restored faith in that nation and brought them right back to the promised land. And they rebuilt the temple, and they rebuilt the city, and it was fine. But a few centuries later, like, what happened in Bethlehem on Christmas? God rent the heavens, and he he actually came down. You know, from the distant place where we think of God being, he stepped into our world the savior, the fixer, was here. But his fix was so unexpected. Like even as you're reading these different prophecies, you're thinking like, he's going to start an army, he's going to build a kingdom, he's going to make his name known to his enemies, he's going to cause the nations to quake before him. And especially since the Romans have taken over the world, you can see how people thought, like this savior is going to come and it's going to be a military revolution down here, Uh, but instead, the one time when God became a human and stepped physically into our world, the fix that he provided was very unexpected, it was very surprising. He was born, quietly, of a poor virgin named Mary. His birth was announced only to a few humble shepherds. He was raised by a poor carpenter's family in a tiny village. His his ministry was characterized by wandering and homelessness. He died a miserable death on the cross. And yet, by that death, the king of the universe took the mess of our sin on himself and he cleaned it up fully and completely. And then with his perfect life, he paid the price for us to go to a place where there are never going to be any messes or any sins or any problems ever again. I don't know if you guys watch HGTV. There's a show on there that is called Help, I Wrecked My House. Um, so this is a show about people who make colossal <laughs> DIY mistakes. Like one of the episodes the the woman is trying to uh, renovate her bathroom and then she got it all messed up and then she ended up living without running water in her house for five months. And so people get to this point where like they are beyond the path, you know, beyond the point of no return, like they have messed it all up. But then, a woman named Jasmine Ross comes in with her TV crew and she takes on the project and she fixes all their mistakes for them and she just undoes it all and replumbs it all and then goes above and beyond and makes their home into a beautiful space that is more beautiful than they could have dreamed of. And sort of. I mean, this is what Advent is. This is what Christmas is, and this is what Jesus is all about. It is not about, like, he's going to show us a video of how we could do it ourselves, and he's going to help us to work a little harder, and then we'll finally fix our life, and then we'll finally be close to God. No, Advent and Christmas and Jesus is about help coming from the outside. It's about a God who loves us so much that he was not content to just oversee from the spiritual realm, but he burst right into our physical world to rescue us. And the first time he came in, died on the cross, rose from the dead, he conquered our spiritual problems of sin, death, and hell. And the second time that he's going to come in and rend the heavens and come down, he is going to rescue us from every problem that remains and take us to a place where there are no problems No more brokenness ever again. And so this Advent season, uh, fellow DIYers, uh, may God bless each one of us with a faith that doesn't try to do it ourselves, but a faith that flings ourself on the mercy of our God. And may God give us then a joyful life of love that comes from knowing no matter what, no matter what, God is never going to let his people down. He never has. He never will. Amen. And now the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your Savior. Amen.